This is an Audible. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the second episode of The War Cleric. I am your host and writer, Sam. Thank you so much for coming back. I want to address a little bit of feedback that I got. First of all, 12 downloads is not a lot on paper, but every single one of them means a lot. That's how many we got on the first episode. I got a lot of very useful feedback from that, too, and I cannot overstate how much that means to me. As far as story goes, uh, one person told me that it was a little dark, but they enjoyed it, and that's very funny uh, because when I pitch this to people, I say that it's actually the lightest thing I've ever wrote, written, and in hindsight, when you review everything that happens, even the first three chapters, you have stabbings and gods being brought to earth for torture and nightmarish dreams of people being cut open and I could see how maybe that's a little dark um I really do think that this is still not as uh hopeless or nasty of a story as some things that I've written historically but I look forward to hearing how the perspective on that changes as we go on it's very cool seeing it through somebody else's eyes I also heard that it was pretty easy to tell what was happening and that the voices made it very clear who was talking. That was awesome. I also got some basic technical feedback from Tom that I actually really appreciated, and that was that I was popping my peas uh, by being too close to the mic. And that's the kind of stuff that I really need to know. Because once you hear that, that's all you can hear when you listen to the recording. I went back and it was pop, pop, pop. It was driving me crazy. So I promise that I'm doing this uh, little trick I learned back when I was in a band we were recording an album where you hold your thumb and your pinky out and you're that far away from the mic. And that's where I am now. And I'm going to try to stay cognizant of that through this episode. Um, so that's all the feedback that I got. It was great. I really appreciated that anybody took the time to listen at all, and especially if they went out of their way to tell me about how they felt like the first episode went. And now we're going to jump right into the next two chapters. Like I said, the episodes are going to be shorter than the first one. Moving forward, it's just a time constraint for me. And also, I just feel like if it's really quick little episodes, maybe it'll be more digestible for people. As a quick recap of what happened in the first episode, we were introduced to uh, Archpriest Revington, the sovereign of the clerical order. He had twins with him, the chosen one kind of archetype, named Mattis, who was sick and under a mat being carried up a mountain in a cart. And then his twin, very deformed, hunchback brother, Ankh. And they went up the mountain. They went to a place called Helshman's Grave. Revington sacrificed Ankh to try to heal Mattis. But instead, Ankh was brought to the afterlife and given the chance to take over his brother's body by a mischievous spirit named Nordstrom. He took the Faustian deal and jumped into his brother's body. And on their way back to the clerical order, they were ambushed by the protector of the mountain, named Sluskin. And together, Revington and Ankh uh, slayed the protector. And also, Ankh finally got to really inhabit the body of his brother and realize how much nicer it is than his own. On the last uh, bit of the episode, they arrived at um, the lighthouse that serves as the school and headquarters and that was where it ended so we're going to jump right in uh, to chapter four thank you so much for being here and i hope you enjoy it chapter four 
Explain yourself, Luminous Braddock demanded. Revington sighed and made a show out of putting down his manuscript. He leaned back from his heavy oaken desk and looked up at the red-faced man standing over him. For the last time, I have nothing of interest to divulge. Your flippancy betrays your station, Sovereign. You are not the caliber of liar that you believe yourself to be. The educator was emboldened by his perceived righteousness. His wiry build stood obnoxiously tall. His narrow eyes were honed to a point from which his beard dangled like the mane of a wild lion. I returned the herald to his homestead, so that he could die in peace amongst his own kin. But he recovered instead. I cannot explain why or how the illness was broken, in the same way that I cannot understand your anger. Braddock broke his stare and began pacing slowly around the office. His fingers traced the various stacks of books and artifacts that littered the room like debris. I would have been delighted to see him healed, he paused, if you had returned him whole. There is something wrong with the boy, and we all know it. Revington leaned back into his chair. Is that so? Every academic report I have received suggests that his skills are more exceptional than ever. Precisely, the chief educator waved his finger with excitement. I will concede that he has only grown more powerful, but his comprehension has fallen to impractical depths. Yesterday he concocted a flawless salve of de-differentiation, but he could hardly pronounce the components that he had used to do so. That is curious, Revington admitted. And I was fortunate to hear him speak at all. The damned child has practically become a mute. He has barricaded himself within his tent. When he does bless us with his presence, he wanders aimlessly with his face turned down. He was one of the most charismatic souls to ever grace our holes. So why the sudden change? Perhaps he is overwhelmed by the stress of preparing for the transcendence, Revington offered. Even our best and brightest have been known to buckle under the weight. Braddock stroked his beard. It is possible. Imagine what the poor lad suffered through. It is a miracle that he is still breathing. So why must you insist on debasing him? The real question lies in your absolute devotion. Braddock pressed against the desk that divided the two and leaned forward, lowering his voice to a solemn whisper. There are scandalous whispers echoing through our order, sir. There are some who wish to launch an official inquiry into your relationship with Harold Mattis. He smirked. They have gone so far as to accuse you of heresy most foul. Revington consciously tightened the skin around his eyes and erupted into laughter. <laughs> Preposterous! Is it? He bent over even further, until their faces were close enough to touch. I know that you and I have not always seen eye to eye, but I have always taken comfort in the knowledge that we both only desire what is best for our order. If you have done anything... questionable, anything at all, then it would be better for you to share it with me now. Surely we could resolve it together. A loud bang shattered the stillness as Revington slammed his fist on the table. He stood, allowing himself to tower over his interrogator. I have humored your insubordination long enough. How many times will I need to remind you of your place in this organization? You will respect me as your sovereign. My word is absolute. A sly smile replaced the immediate shock on Braddock's face as he stared upward. Anger always betrays a convicted heart. The truth shall be revealed in glorious light soon enough, and you will be held accountable. The boy is a gift. 
We will rejoice in his recuperation and do everything we can to ensure he leaves this place with what he will need to treat the ills of our world. That is all. There was a pause. Mm, very well. Braddock bowed, placing extra emphasis on the title. We will continue to mold him to the very end. Not even you will be able to help him through the transcendence, however. I wonder what secrets lie waiting in deepest corners of his psyche. Well, until that time, I must return to my duties. I have appreciated your candor. Braddock turned to leave. He stopped just before exiting and turned. I do have one last matter to report. We have received word that the custodian has gone missing from Helshman's Mountain. How odd is that? Such strange timing. Curiosities upon curiosities. Braddock left the room, humming to himself merrily. Revington sank into his chair. He should have expected this. Many had been waiting for him to make a mistake, and he had given them everything they needed to have him hanged. He placed his face into his palms and wondered for the hundredth time if the sacrifice had been justified. Even in the orange glow of a setting sun, no peace came to soothe him. Chapter 5 Life as a student, or herald, in the clerical order was far from luxurious. Ink was reminded of this each morning, when he woke sprawled upon the bare ground with only a single wool blanket to comfort him. Everything has been designed with the intention of keeping you humble, Nordstrom had explained. You are going to be lauded as a demigod for the rest of your life. It is all they can do to instill your role as a holy instrument. After all, your rightful place is in the dirt. Dim light peeked through the slit at the front of his small nylon tent, beckoning Ink to rise before the, an instructor, or luminous, came to rile him. Early morning was the only time he could move freely about the campus without company. He rolled to one side and rose to crack the aches from his back. His brother's body was a marvel of resilience. Within moments, any soreness was gone from his joints. He was alert and ready for the day's challenges, alive in a way he had never known before. He pulled a knapsack from the corner and found his way, and found his way into the dull gray robe that was assigned to all heralds. He peeked his head from the mouth of his tiny dwelling and ensured that he was the only one awake. The other nine-tenths sat quietly in their places, peacefully housing their sleeping wards within. Magna Lucius was a beautiful place. The sun was just starting to rise from its nest below the horizon. Golden rays shot against the cliff's edge as warmth spilled across the churning waters below. Purples and reds bled into one another as light chased the night out of the sky. It all bounced off the shimmering lighthouse that towered high above. Seagulls greeted the dawn with excited chirps. Ank filled his lungs with saltwater air that wafted from the sea below him. Good morning, Maddie. A voice cooed from his left. It was Sho, a feral herald who had hailed from the far north. Her maple skin drank from the sunrise and glowed in response. A timid smile broke from her lips as Ank turned to face her. I was listening for you, she explained. I have been trying to catch you for days, but it has been so difficult. You know how much I love my sleep, <laughs> she laughed. Ink took a step back from his as his chest tightened. Why did she want to talk to him? What could he possibly have that she needed? He stared at his feet and struggled to form words. Good d day to you, m'lady. She continued giggling, sweet little notes in a symphony he did not have access to. I will never understand your sense of humor. <laughs> 
I would do anything for you. Tingling heat rose up into his cheeks. No, apologies, I meant... I mean, may I do anything for you? Her chestnut eyes glimmered. You've always been too sweet, Maddie. But all I need is for you to tell me that you are truly feeling better. Do you have even the slightest understanding of how much I worried for you? She corrected herself. How much we all worried. She motioned towards the other tents. His eyes never left his own feet. I, I am doing very well. Thank you for asking. She did the most terrifying thing a woman could ever do and moved closer. Her head tilted down as she tried to meet his gaze. Silky black hair dangled from around the adorable nubs of her earlobes. Are you certain? Surely you must agree that you have not been yourself. She reached out for his shoulder. He pulled back. Apologies. She curled her fingers and slumped her back down to her side. You never have to apologize to me. Listen, I speak for everyone when I say that we only wish to understand why you have been so distant. They all want me to ask if we have offended you somehow. We have missed you. We miss your jokes. We miss the way you would encourage us all when we felt like failures. Do you know how important you are to us? She curled a loose strand of hair with her index finger. To me. A giant bell rang from across the grounds. The clanging tone signaled the official start of their day. Sho frowned as she looked towards the sound. Without actually deciding to move, Ang found himself starting a light jog toward their morning assembly. If, if you'll please pardon me, milady, I must be off. Her profile slouched against the glow of the rising sun. He could feel her disappointment. You really buggered that one, Nordstrom teased. Ank could not disagree. Their education adhered to a strict regime of prayers, lectures, prayers, physical training, prayers, practical exercises, and of course, more prayers. Mornings were always spent in the courtyard, where they practiced tactical maneuvers and sparred against one another with various forms of combat. The perfectly cultivated rose gardens that circled the arena betrayed the brutal rigors of the fighting that happened within. Many joked that the bright red petals were designed to hide any stray splatters of blood. A cleric must be a warrior above all else. Lock one hundred kings in a room with a single trained fighter, and you know what they will do. Bow down and call him Lord. There was much to know in this strange new life, and Nordstrom served as a constant stream of information. It was the only reason their ruse was succeeding. How did you become so much stronger? Harold Jobris demanded to know as he failed at blocking a burst of concussive blows from Ank's training sword. Ank did not respond. He focused all of his attention on the match. This was always his favorite part of the day. You spent so long trapped inside that deformed body. Every move you made was so painful and restricted. You must feel weightless by comparison. Combining that with over a decade of your brother's finely tuned muscle memory has made you a force to be reckoned with. Jobra sneered. Why don't you just talk to any of us? We are starting to wonder if the fever boiled your damn brain. He intentionally fell onto his back, using the gain momentum to roll backwards and escape the volley. Has your arrogance finally gotten the better of you? Do you think of yourself as our superior? Are we no longer worthy of your conversation? You made show feel terrible this morning. Do you even care? Enk one used the moment of rest to catch his breath. I appreciate your concern, but I am doing very well. Jobris rolled his eyes and shifted to an offensive stance. He wore the bulkiest build of his group. 
His dark skin seemed in danger of tearing to shreds as it strained to contain the enormous muscles swelling beneath it. I am so bloody sick of hearing that. You are not doing well, Mattis. Stop the charade or I will be forced to end it for you. He swung forth. The blunted edge of his wooden blade slammed into Ank's own with so much force that both exploded into wild splinters. Ank did not hesitate to admire the blow. He allowed his arm to fling backwards with the natural energy and used it to spin himself clockwise. With a jump, he brought his right leg up into a kick and landed it squarely into his opponent's jaw. The speedy retaliation caught Jobris by surprise and sent him tumbling to the ground. An observing Luminous clapped her hands. Excellent technique, Harold Mattis. The victory is yours. As reward, you are released early. Breakfast will be served at the usual hour, so be sure that you are not late. She turned to a sulking Jobris, who was only just starting to get back up. Do not fret, young sire. You and I are going to correct the flaw that led to your defeat. Pay heed. If you learn from your failures, not a single one of us will stand as your equal. You and I are not finished, Mattis, Jobris threatened. We will share words again soon. Ank retreated to the river to wash himself. He found that no amount of scrubbing could cleanse the anxiety he felt from the constant probing. He had never had so many people pay him such close attention. He dipped to one knee and allowed the cooling waters to drift across him. It was too much. The longer he pretended to be maddest, the easier it was becoming for everyone to see through the act. Yes, this is something that must be remedied. I have given you plenty of time to acclimate to your new form. But now you will need to adapt to the role as well. You are drawing far too many suspicions. A single water lily floated towards him. He admired the pointed white petals that encircled its bright yellow core. His palms cupped the relaxed drifter and lifted it carefully. His nostrils flared as they were filled with the fresh aroma of clean sisters. For the first time, he allowed himself to wonder why he should even stay and fulfill his brother's destiny. There was nothing keeping him there, after all, except his own two feet. You are correct. I cannot force you to become a cleric, but I would implore you to consider the reality of your situation. No matter where you go, there will always be someone who recognizes the mark you bear. You are chosen for a higher purpose that is not so easily abandoned. The Empyrean birthmark on his right forearm seemed to swell in response. It shimmered beneath the stream, and in that moment seemed to shine as bright as the sun that it so closely resembled. Ten out of millions, he remembered Revington telling him. You were an outcast for so long. Could you really find contentment hidden away? Have I not gifted you a new life rich with power and adulation so that you could escape from such an existence? Did Ank even want any of that? Anonymity might have been lonesome, but it came with the benefit of tranquility. It is far too late to reconsider such desires. Heed my words, child. Even now, the grandest pillars of fate collapse and reform in your image. Forces beyond your comprehension have placed a great wager upon your actions in the coming days. Truly, this moment is as delicate as the flower in your hands. Be careful not to crush it, lest you condemn us all to dark oblivion. The lily bobbed gently as Ank released it to continue its voyage downstream. He watched it for some time and realized that it was all true. The time for doubt had long passed. He had to carry on. Even if he could not grasp the full weight of Nordstrom's theatrics, 
he would return to Magna Lucius and leave his apprehensions of the water with the rest of his filth. Good lad, I'm glad to see that wisdom prevailed. Let us never broach this matter again. Never forget that you asked for this. When Ankh arrived back in the, at the sacred grounds, he found the other nine heralds waiting for him. They formed a half-circle. They exchanged crooked looks in awkward silence, daring someone to start the inevitable confrontation. Ankh lifted an open right hand and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Nordstrom whispered, and he repeated the words like they were his own. My friends, my dear friends, I cannot tell you how much you all mean to me. I know that I have seemed odd these last few weeks. Please understand that I am still coming to terms with how close I came to dying. I have never had to face my own mortality before. It has been terrifying. A single tear rolled down his cheek as truth bled through lies. The group broke. Nothing else needed to be said. They rushed to envelop him inside a sweeping torrent of warmth. Ankh felt Sho wrap herself around his waist. He leaned into her embrace and wondered if he finally knew what it was to belong, even if it was all just a farce. Okay, so that is it for this week's episode. Um, chapters definitely went by fast. Some of these early chapters are pretty quick. You'll see that Sometimes there are very fast ones and the very long ones in between. Um, there is a tempo to it. I'm glad that these two chapters came together at the same time, for example, because I really wanted to explore how difficult it would be to just inhabit somebody's life if you knew nothing about them. Even if you had all of the answers academically, everyone would notice that you were a completely different person. And I didn't want to skip past that. I didn't want to sweep it under the rug. Um, I also really wanted to give time to come to terms with the fate of being a cleric and accepting the training and everything. Um, this also gave me a quick chance to kind of explore the fact that these people are like superhumans. They're not regularly strength people. They can explode wooden shields with strikes and things like that. So that was kind of the intention of these two chapters. The entire academic staff, the, the, the staff of Magna Lucius, are like, this kid's not the same person. <laughs> what the hell is going on? And um, Revington is really doubling down on the fact that he hopes that he did the right thing. Meanwhile, you have Ankh, now is, who's probably been ignored and mistreated his entire life. Suddenly he's like, you know, the popular jock at school. And everybody's really worried about him because, hey, he's not funny. He's not charismatic. He's not doing any of that stuff anymore. And Sho, who's one of my favorite characters, uh, she gets introduced. Here and is kind of the concerned friend. She's kind of the voice for everyone. And then also Jobris, who's a cool character. Um, who's important pretty quick here. So lots of introductions here. I really just wanted to... You'll notice that when I do a trope, I really kind of try to approach it from a different direction. So obviously this is the magic school trope, the uh, Hogwarts trope. Magna Lucius is this version of that. And instead of chapter upon chapter of silly sounding potions or any of that, I really wanted to tackle the social dynamics of it and the fact that even if you couldn't fail a test you still had to pass through the weird um pressures of being amongst your peers and having to pass yourself along with them also that first chapter i love braddock and revington um braddock is actually probably one of my favorite characters in the entire book i really had a lot of fun writing him he is the mustache twirling kind of schemer part villain 
um, the Iago of this piece, if you uh, are familiar with Shakespeare. Um, if I if I was writing it like that, you know, he would be the one turning to the camera and be like, mm, "At last, an opening to try and dismantle this, you know, Revington's whole credit." So he's very much supposed to be kind of like the guy who's patting his fingers and looking at the camera breaking the fourth wall and being like, watch what I do next. Um, and hopefully you got a small taste of that. He does a lot more coming up. So thank you so much for listening. Again, this is going to be actually less than, it's going to be about 25 minutes by the time I upload it. Well, actually by the time Tom upload it, uploads it. Thank you for doing that. I just kind of pass it along to him and he puts it up on the site. And thank you for listening. I hope to see you back next week, and I appreciate you. Feel free to reach out and let me know through any method you choose. Let me know if you're enjoying this, if it's good, uh, what you think of the story, the production, if my peas were still popping as bad as they were last time. Um, take it easy and have a good night.